0: Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Just have more faith. Okay? Just have more faith. Just trust God. Just trust God. Your faith must grow. Just, Just trust God. When people in my vocation say things like that, it's almost like it's almost like we're talking about something so vague that it's almost an emotion or it's almost a feeling and it's something I'm supposed to do. But how do you exactly muster up more of a thing that's really kind of hard to understand anyway? Well, you know, just have more faith. And I think, honestly, sometimes people in... In my vocation, we say that because we really don't know the answer to your real problem. You know, you'd show up, my kids are, you just need to t- trust God more. <laughs> I suppose. I can't go wrong with that, you know. I need a survival kit. Just trust God more, you know. Put, put a flashlight in your trunk. That's all I got. That's two things I know. And we say these things. What's strange about the whole idea of faith is that you know you get these 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 phrases like, he is testing your faith, which I struggle with. I struggle with that phrase, and I know it's in the scripture, and and, and I understand what it means, maybe. But when you hear it, he's testing you, (laughs) as if God's trying to learn something about you that he doesn't know. You know? He's testing you. He wants to see what you're made of. Well, he doesn't sound fun at all. That sounds weird to me. It's almost sometimes like we get this impression of God that he is this very distant being. In order for you to get his love or any bit of his blessing or a, a chair at his table or a place in his kingdom or forgiveness of your sins, You've got to somehow struggle through like he's far away and he's standing back there all hard to get. Looking at you like, just got to be tougher. You got to be tougher. Just dig in, be tougher. You're going to learn your lesson. You're going to earn your keep. Just keep trudging. Almost like there's no help from him on his side. And I think sometimes that's what happens in our mind the way we see god sometimes that he is this very distant cold fatherly type of guy who's just like you know come on if you're coming then come on i think that permeates not only the church but i think the culture i think humans we take on this view of this is this is this is who god is i made a fatal parenting i have made fatal parenting errors one of them, I think a little bit more so, when my kids were smaller. Now, very limited experience. If you're going to model any of my parenting uh, in your own life, I want you to know, like, I can get you to 15. That's all I got. And I'm not even sure if what I'm doing is working. So, we're, right now, we're fine. But I made, this, I made this mistake. My kids are good. My girls are good diligent students, smart girls. And the problem with that is that competitive nature in me saw that as an opportunity to take somebody who was already naturally good and push. Well, if they're a great 12 year old and they're just super mature and they're almost like they're 18 at 12, why not push them and they'll be the greatest 20 year old, 12 year old ever in the history of children. What does that say about me? What a knockout father. Push, push. And that competitive thing in me got me to that place of they're good. Give them a little boost. Give them a little boost. Push them a little more. Push them a little more. Keep raising the standard. Here's what happens when you do that. It does not translate as my dad must see so much wonderful potential in me that he just keeps pushing me. I must be wonderful, I must be great, I'm so thankful to have such a caring father. It does not translate that way. Here's the way it translates. I'm a failure. I have failed to meet his standard yet again, repeatedly. And when I begin to see this in my kids, this thing to where I would overcorrect or I would push too hard or I would keep moving the standard just as they're tall enough to reach it and they're almost there, okay, good. Let's move it. Now, maybe with boys, you can do that. I don't know. Maybe you, can, maybe you can do that to boys, and they just fight through it. I don't know. But with girls, absolutely not. I begin to see their spirits just kind of get crushed. When I realized this, I met them at the door one day after school, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks that morning. And I was like, you better fix that. Me being the extreme person that I am, going from one end to the other, we immediately begin to celebrate all sorts of mediocrity, you know? How'd you do? I didn't do good. High <laughs> five. Like immediately, like, I don't, I want to try to undo all the st- stupidity and the nonsense that I did earlier. How'd you do, how'd you do, did you, did you is, is life good? Did you have a lot of good, no, I told my teacher to, and I got sent to the principal, <laughs> five, you know? And immediately just tried to get to that other side They were gracious to me and forgave me And I have to make it a constant thing in my life to do that Sometimes I think that is the way we see God Like nothing's really ever good enough for Him Here's what's what's crazy You come to church and you hear something You're like, you know what? I need to work harder on doing my devotion Or praying about my marriage or praying for my kids. And so you do that, and then you come to church. And, like, there's a whole brand-new, different book report on the same book, and it's it doesn't even have the same rules. And you show up, and you're like, I'm doing real good over here. And you're like, all right, so let's talk about money. Ah! Never good enough! Never good enough. It's like God is always moving the standard. But that's not true. That's not true. And well-intentioned people like me should probably work hard on making sure people understand. Look, he loves you like you are. Loves you like you are. Like there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Nothing. Well, Jared, you don't know what I've done. Nothing. Nothing. He is constantly chasing after you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to conversate with you. He wants to see you whole. He loves you. Let me read you a few passages. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good purpose or pleasure. He doesn't stand far away saying, come to me, come to me. He moves inside of us and says, I'll do the work. You just keep moving forward. I'll do the work. I'll do the work. And that's the way God operates. He loves us. He wants to help us through this. He wants to get on board and push us through here. He wants to carry us through these trials that we see. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and then He will make your paths straight. He's doing the work. He loves us and He's chasing us. John 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the great comforter. I don't know about you, but most of the feelings that I associate with church preachers sermons christianity religion most of the feelings i associate with those things are typically guilt regret um failure we're all trying to get this thing done we're all trying to get through it we're all trying to have a relationship with the transcendent i don't know if you realize this or not but it's hard to have a conversation with the transcendent being who is outside of time and space let alone a relationship with him. It's a difficult thing. It's not like he put it right out there and said, like, you know, do your best. It's not t-ball. Swing, miss, swing, miss, swing, miss. Like, he gave us a monstrous mission. And you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm not going to pull that off. Not with what I'm made of. Not with this equipment. Uh Uh-uh. It ain't happening. He loves us. He wants to work in us and through us. He's the comforter. That's the thing we have to constantly remind ourselves of. I think God's mad at me. Well, did you do something wrong? No, I just always feel this way. Okay, that's your fault. It's your fault. At some point, you've got to change what you ingest. Hopefully, by the end of the sermon today, We will have some sort of encouragement as we leave, that we can walk out and we can have this renewed vision of who he is, who he believes that we are, and then we can begin to align our life with his belief about us, not our belief about us, which I'm excited about this. We are finishing up John chapter 6, if you want to go to John chapter 6. We're finishing up John chapter 6. Jesus has just finished giving his discourse on being the bread of life. And if you were here last week, we talked about just the strangeness of of the words that Jesus chose. And not only that, but he repeated himself multiple times. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And we come to understand what this means as we must ingest God's statutes. The reading of his word, prayer, worship, generosity, spending time with other Christians, being in a place to where we are always encouraged by other people and that we are always encouraging other people. There's an element of service in there on our end, and there's an element of us learning how to be served on our end to where we take off our mask and we let other people speak into our life. We don't carry the burden on our own as our marriage breaks apart, as our life breaks apart, as our jobs fall apart, as addiction eats us up. We learn how to receive somebody else speaking into our life. That's an element of what Jesus is talking about. This message did not go over well in the first century either. The people around Jesus said, this is a hard teaching. This is a very, very, very hard teaching. And you would think that would just be the people on the outside just overhearing his message, but it wasn't. It was his disciples. Not the 12, but the other disciples. The ones who had been following him. And they weren't on the inner circle. They were just on this outside edge, and they were, well, what could we call them? Not good Christians, but, you know. And Jesus begins to take the standard, so it seems and raise it just as they're getting on board he takes the standard and he raises it they said this is a hard teaching and they grumbled back and forth the passage says this back up on hearing it many of his disciples said this is a hard teaching who can accept it aware that his disciples were grumbling about this Jesus said does this offend you does this offend you? See, the problem with the message wasn't necessarily the blood and flesh talk. Inasmuch as when he's talking about the flesh and the body and the eat, eat my body and, and this kind of thing, he also said this other phrase I came from heaven. Now, listen. If you're little and you say, Where do babies come from? and your kid says, Heaven. It's a brilliant answer. But when you're 33 and you're telling people who are following you, I came from heaven. Like, okay, sweet. We we'll go wait for Halebop on a mountain somewhere, right? What? What are you talking about? Come from heaven? Yeah. Um, don't I know your mom? Like, well, she's married, right? And your dad Joseph. He's got, you know, J and J Construction down there. Joseph and Jesus. If you. Isn't that him? Yeah, 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 that's that's, that's him, but I came from heaven. Yeah, I think he came from Nazareth, right? No, heaven. Okay. That's weird. And they took issue with this. They didn't like that. They said, this is a hard teaching. You're trying to tell me that this is who you are, and now somehow... In their eyes, a seemingly normal human being. Does this offend you? This message, does it offend you? That now there's somebody among you who's better? Does this offend you? came from heaven? The Greek word (coughs) of offend? Scandal. Does this scandalize you? This message I'm giving, does it scandalize you? Maybe a better definition would be, does this present a stumbling block in front of you that you cannot get over? Is this a deal breaker for you? Is it a deal breaker, this whole blood and flesh conversation? Is this a deal breaker, me saying I came from heaven? Is that a deal breaker? And then Jesus takes the standard and ups it one more notch. If that's a deal breaker, you're not going to like what happens next how are you going to feel? If you don't like the idea of me coming from heaven, how are you going to feel when you see me go back up? If you find this hard to explain, you're not going to like the other. And it seems like he's raising the standard, but he's not. He's laying out prophetic fact. This is what's going to happen. If you have a hard time explaining this part, if you have a hard time saying to yourself, okay, I'll believe you're from heaven. Okay, I'll go there. That's a hard thing when I go back up and you're left standing there wondering (laughs) looking at the clouds like well that was weird that might be a deal breaker is this a deal breaker and it said from that point on many of his disciples did not follow him anymore turned their back and left Jesus says to the twelve seeing them leave Turns to the 12 and he said, Are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me too? It's really hard to convince kids in junior high and high school that where they are in their life isn't going to last forever, that those relationships aren't going to last forever. It's hard to convince him of that. This is the most important thing in my whole entire 14 years of living. Oh, sweet girl. Oh, sweet girl. It's not. But it's the most important. My whole life is falling apart. Your life hasn't even started. Hasn't even began. You're not even close yet. Oh, break up! Oh, breakups! That was the most important relationship. Oh, I—it's not. It won't be. I didn't make the team. Oh, I'm devastated. You don't even know what devastated means. You're not devastated. This is the most important time. But we know. We're past that, we moved on, we're not in school anymore. And we look back at that stuff and we go, how silly. Oh, how silly. It meant the world, oh my, it just meant the world. But it doesn't once you're gone. We see it from a different place. What if Jesus did the same thing to us? He's up in heaven and we're whining and complaining. Oh, this relationship is the most important thing. In all the world, Jesus is like, oh, sweet girl, I know you think that. This life is so hard. (laughs) I know. I know you feel that way. That job was my identity. I know you feel that way. I know you think that. And then he just speaks stuff to us like, it's not right. It's not your identity. I don't know if I can make it anymore. This life is so absolutely terrible. Jesus is going, that's not even life. This isn't even life. This isn't even, this isn't life. John 6, 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I've given to you are spirit and they are life. You feel like the weight of the world is on you that is absolutely nothing jesus says i graduated already i know this little junior high high school life that you're in right now feels like it's just too so overwhelming just keep coming just keep coming all you got to do is make it four more years just keep coming make some good friends just blow off the rest keep coming From where I'm standing, boy, you're going to love the view from here. Just keep coming. What if it was just like that? As we try to convince our kids, he's doing the same to us. Maybe he's not so far away. Maybe he's not so distant and not trying to help us. Maybe he's just on the other side. He just got his tassel moved from the right to the left. Or is it left to right? I don't remember. And he's off the stage and he's standing over there going, hey, listen, that's not even the starting point. That's not even the starting point. Wait till you see what's over the hill. If that's what it's like. And we just get so distracted and so burdened by everything else in this life. Do you want to leave me too? This teaching's pretty hard. You going to leave me too? It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, one of my very favorite chapters. Because so much cool stuff happens in here. Jesus begins to set up this moment to where He's going to celebrate his disciples. He's going to celebrate them like a good father. He's going to challenge them. But he's going to celebrate them. You're going to leave me too? He knew them. He knew them. He knew their hearts, every one of them, even Judas, he knew. He knew them. He knew their answers. He knew their lives. He knew their words. He knew their deeds. He knew their minds. He knew their hearts. He knew their imaginations. And he set them up. Are you going to leave me too? Can you see all of heaven leaned in? What are they going to say? All the angels? God's on the edge of the throne. Everybody has moved to the center. What are these 12 going to say? Because the church is built on this. God's entire plan is built off of these 12 right here. And we already know that one's busted. We're down to 11 and we haven't even got there. And we're peeking into this deal. Are you going to leave me too? And in perfect Socratic method, Peter becomes a preacher in that moment and returns the question back to Jesus. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? Do you know what he's saying? This is why I love this passage. Here's what he's saying. Do you know how bad you've screwed me up? Jesus, do you know? Really? Are you going to leave me too? (laughs) You turn a tradesman into a scholar. You took the ignorant and you turned him into an intellectual in a heartbeat. You took fishermen and you made him evangelists. I watched you walk on water. I watched you heal the lame. I watched you raise the dead. I watched you take a little bitty sack lunch and feed 5,000 people. I watched you tear open heaven. I saw Moses and Elijah. I saw you as you really, really are. You have screwed me up so bad. Like, I have absolutely nothing to give the rest of the world. If I don't follow you, there's no one else. There wasn't a line of rabbis saying, You look like a great disciple. Only you. To whom shall we go, Jesus? I watched you walk on water. I watched the wind and the waves rear up and try to kill us. And you step to the front of the boat, and you go, Shh, be still. And the elements... Cowered at your feet like a scolded pup Where am I going? You show me all that and ask me Can I go back to a normal life? Listen, the last time I was on that fishing boat I fished all day long and I didn't catch a thing And then you got aboard I threw it over and I caught the biggest haul I've ever seen in my entire freaking life That's not in the scripture It's close <laughs> Where am I going? Nowhere. I'm going nowhere. Oh, I might come kicking and screaming. I might whine and bellyache on occasion. I might throw a hissy fit and say no the whole time shuffling along to the place you're calling me to go. But I'm not leaving you. Sometimes that's what he's calling us to do. I think that's what he's saying. Are you going to leave me? And you go back and you look through your life and you say, can I leave him? I mean, honestly, can you? People do. People walk away from the faith all the time for strange reasons, pride, guilt. But I think a lot of them are just an excuse to quit. I think they just really don't want to be there. They see no hope. And they just turn and they walk away. Can you? Would you leave them too? Can you? You begin to go back and think through your life. I remember when he came to me in the form of a friend. That was critical. Critical had that person not shown up, I wouldn't be where I am today. That was him. When he stepped into your life and he made the impossible a reality, and he just lined it all up and you couldn't have asked for anything better, you just examine your life bit by bit under the microscope and you go, the job worked, the move worked, the relationships worked, everything just came together perfectly. How does that happen? was with me all along. Jesus, you've screwed me up. I have no other marketable skills other than this. And you've messed up my whole thought process on the rest of the world. I'm not going anywhere. I'm waiting on you. Then I began to kind of understand those phrases. Just trust Him. Just have faith. Just have faith that what he's saying is right. He's seen over the hill we have it. He's told us, hey, 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 look, I will take care of you. We come running in with our, okay, this is all I got. This is all I got. Are you you sure you're gonna take care of me? I'm gonna take care of you. You keep doing the right thing. I think he's closer than we think. I think he's near. I think he's here with us a lot closer than we think, which means we should probably trust it.